0: give. Thanks for listening, and God bless.
1: Our passage today comes from Matthew 15, 21 through 28. Listen for what God is saying to you. From there, Jesus went to the regions of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from those territories came out and shouted, "'Show me mercy, son of David. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession.'" but he didn't respond to her at all. His disciples came and urged him, Send her away. She keeps shouting out after us. Jesus replied, I've been sent only to the lost sheep, the people of Israel. But she knelt before him and said, Lord, help me. He replied, It is not good to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall off their master's table. Jesus answered, Woman, you have great faith. It will be just as you wish. And right then, her daughter was healed. May God add a blessing to the hearing and living out of this scripture.
0: Good morning again. I don't think I introduced myself. Uh, my name is Emily McKinley. I have the... Great joy of serving as the pastor of this um, unique community here um, at Urban Village Church, Hyde Park Woodlawn, alongside many of the folks that you saw up front and others who um, often are not up front, but help us do what we do and be who we are, and I'm grateful to to be able to minister alongside them. Why don't we begin with a word of prayer? God, we are grateful for the gift that it is to come together, even on days like this, where the the gloom of, um, of the weather in some ways uh, matches Maybe some, some of the activity in our own spirits and our bodies. Um, and so we pray that in this space, that the warmth of your spirit would be present in a way that only you can make it so. That by our showing up here in this space, that we are proclaiming something about your activity, about your power, about your message, Of wholeness of life for all and our participation in it and so i ask that in this space and at this moment you would draw us near to one another incline our spirits to the activity and to the speaking of your work um, and your word um, here among us this morning and may we leave this space not only challenged and um, and called to greater possibility but also encouraged um, and maybe even feeling that deep joy that comes with knowing Um, that you are at work even in spite of uh, the pain of what this world might have to offer to us. Be present here and help us to hear you in new ways. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, if you were like me this past week, uh, you might have been holding a lot of tension in your body as you waited um, on the verdict in the trial of Jason Van Dyke. And I'll be the first to to admit that my expectations were modest. In fact, Brett and I had a conversation the night before um, uh, the verdict was announced, um, and so he can vouch for that. Um, I felt sure that there would be some guilty charges, but the bar was relatively low for me. And so I was amazed to hear the outcome. Second-degree murder, all 16 shots accounted for. And the one charge I thought for sure would be guilty, police misconduct, was the very one he was found not guilty of, on a technicality. Um, I was stunned and more than a little gratified to see at least a small measure of justice served. But not long after the relief, um, a wave of sadness followed. The truest justice, of course, the truest justice would have been a world where Laquan McDonald was still alive where he hadn't been subject to multiple systemic failures, and that those who were charged to protect and serve could do so without intense fear and anxiety. I was reminded again of how ridiculous but necessary it is to make a statement, a declaration, and a reaffirmation that black lives do indeed matter. Why does this have to be said? (laughs) Well, because it took countless activists pushing for just shy of four years in order for a trial to take place pushing former state's attorney out of the office for failing to make charges, pushing the former police chief to resign, setting in motion, who set in motion practices of denial, obfuscation, and destruction of evidence, pushing the mayor out of another race for re-election, pushing city council members to finally release footage, pushing, 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 refusing, refusing to forget, refusing to let it slide, refusing to back down, because damn it, Black Lives Matter. Now, there are plenty of folks, we've heard them one way or another in the ether, who bristle against this phrase, black lives matter. Don't all lives matter? Isn't that what Jesus says? What would Jesus do? And after a passage like today, I think it's safe to say that the answer to that question, first and foremost, is, well... (laughs) Because here, it feels pretty clear that while Jewish lives definitely matter, at best, it's not entirely clear where everyone else fits in. Here, we see this unnamed but not unidentified woman. Let's call her Becky. Becky is a Canaanite, Matthew says, which you might remember is a group of folks uh, with whom the people of Israel carried a generations-long grudge match, marked by an ancient curse dating back to the time of Noah. I know you all know this. Uh, In other words, trash. Becky has the audacity to come after Jesus like a robocall you can't seem to hang up on, right? Three times she pleads to him, and instead of softening, his response gets harsher and harsher. First, he ignores her. Then he tells her, I ain't here for you. And then he finally calls her a dog. Why? Why would Jesus draw his lines so sharply? How could the one I've been singing about, how the Bible tells me loves me so, how the one who is the shelter in my storm, the rock of my salvation, the lover of my soul, and the friend on which all our sins and griefs do bear, how could this Jesus be that Jesus? Isn't Jesus inclusive? Why would he cut Becky out like that? What did she ever do to him? What is the point of focusing on just one group of people? That is a good question. Now to help us unpack it, I thought I'd actually invite um, one of our own uh, community members, Javon Landry, up. Now, we've got some pretty tremendous folks in our community. And every once in a while, I think that the work they're engaged in can help us understand faith and faithful living in new ways. And about a year ago, I had a conversation with Javon about a project that she was getting ready to pitch. You might know Javon, um in some of the many ways that she participates in this community. Sometimes it's up front uh, playing the cajon. Another time she's in the back DJing our AV uh, uh, set here. Um, but today I'm inviting her to share a little more about herself. So uh, let's welcome Javon cool. up. Thank you. So um, Javon. Yes. <laughs> tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're doing. Yes.
2: Um, so, I wanted to tell a little bit about myself so we can kind of see how we got to the point of creating a, pro- a project that I'm gonna tell you guys about. Um, so, I know most of you know who I am, but if you don't, my name is Jovon Landry. I am an interdisciplinary artist, aka the one-third filmmaker, one-third photographer, and one-third MC. And basically what that means is that I'm uh, multifaceted and, um the uh, disciplines that I have, or that I do, doesn't have like, more significance than the other, so they both stand equally to me. Um, I am a child of a single-parent mother, incarcerated dad. I lived in many places, mostly Chicago and Minnesota. Born in San Jose, California. And I got into art, I mean, if we wanna go all the way back, <laughs> I've been doing this since I was a kid. Drawing, been into music, um, but it wasn't until 10 years ago, um, I started taking classes in high school, such as broadcast journalism, digital photography, and then my cousin introduced me to music, and it all happened simultaneously. Mm -hmm. So I've been this interdisciplinary artist since 17 years old. Mm -hmm. Um, And through these 10 years, I went to Columbia College, Chicago. I graduated um, with a BA in film and video and I've realized through the work that I'm doing that it has so much uh, responsibility mm. um, and so I have to pay attention to what I'm putting out there in the world because we rely on media so much mm. to gain information and if I'm going to be creating this information, I want it to be authentic, especially in, in regards to black people you know I want to create stories that are true and mm. you know for gathering information on who people are, mm. I want to get that like authentic story mm. um, and so now I'm freelancing in my art. I work at the University of Chicago um, as a physical aid as- assistant in the lab school. And also, if I can do a quick plugger. <laughs> sure. um, I'm, for the first time, I'm gonna be teaching hip hop production at the Old Town School of Folk mm-hmm. Music this month. So if you're interested in learning production or recording, um, let me know. Um, we can talk later or we can exchange emails. And now I'm at this point of creating a project that is exclusively created by women in hip hop called Synergy, and it's all created by women in Chicago. So all produced, written, performed entirely by women. And uh, last year I had received a grant from WeWork Creator Awards called the Incubate Grant to create this work and to be able to compensate the women that's doing the work um, and that's a first, I've never received a grant and it actually happened on accident how I discovered <laughs> the application, but it's been, it's been amazing. Mm-hmm. And I'm super proud to be able to lead a project like this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so why is an all-female hip hop album important? Like specifically, why all-female?
2: Well, okay, so in, in hip hop, hip hop is definitely a male driven, sport you know (laughs) and so it's like why not and what's so (laughs) crazy is that hip-hop has been around for 50 I believe like 40 plus years and there's never been a project like this that's happened before I mean back in the day we've seen women come together and doing it but now like nowadays when you look in the mainstream hip-hop world do you see women in hip-hop like taking selfies together and be like, hey, like, look at us joining together. Like, You don't see that anymore. Mm. And so I wanna be able to do that and also showcase the women that's uh, producing, that's engineering, because yes, there's several like women who rap, but what about the engineers? What about the producers, the managers? Everyone that's behind the scenes that we normally don't see, I wanna be able to put a spotlight onto them. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: so um, would you say that in producing an all female album, you're um, like against all
2: male albums? No, <laughs> I am not. Something that I learned recently <laughs> someone said um, to, to men, cis men, every space is not your space, bruh. Every space is mm. not your space. Let women get a chance to have something too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I'm not against it at all. Let us have a turn. That's basically what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. So all throughout
0: his ministry, um, it's pretty clear that Jesus wasn't here for everyone. Um, He was here specifically for his people. So like there was a specific kind of vision that he had and a particular kind of call that he had. And even among his own people, he had put those folks who had been disregarded, disenfranchised, and discounted at the center of his activity. And this doesn't mean he was against everyone else, right? Um, He was just trying to clear space for those who there was no space uh, created for. Um, It's just that he, and he was committed to reforming the particular tradition that he loved. And he wanted his people to be called to a kind of renewed faith and a renewed vision um, as in living out their lives rather than just kind of going along to get along, um, particularly under empire. And so what does it mean then for Becky, right? The woman that Jesus called a dog, that here she was like barking up the wrong blessing tree. Uh, Instead of asking Jesus to apologize for his name-calling, she actually just sort of accepts it. She's like, well, you know, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. In other words, she's like, I'll take whatever I can get, right? Because what you've got is so good. Even the crumbs have more power than anything I can get. And now for most of us, this would feel like a bitter pill to swallow, right? To sort of accept that um, location, uh, that she's nothing more than a dog, at least in Jesus' eyes. There isn't much of a way around this kind of humiliation. But she was determined. Whatever Jesus thought of her, assumed about her, she was determined to wrestle a blessing from him and was persistent in it. And it was this faith, faith in his power, faith in her worthiness, faith in his ability to see the core of who she was in spite of who he was committed to, it was all of this that compelled her, not once, not twice, but three times to make him contend with her. And when he finally paid attention, raised his head, and looked her in the eye, he saw the faith that he had been searching for in the leaders of his own tradition. She had faith. He had to hand it to her. And so he did. Jesus thought Becky was going to be just another, well, Becky, right? But she wasn't. She stood for what she knew would be true was true about him. Not only that he had power, but that he would see her in spite of everything that stood between them. She didn't tell him he was wrong in his commitment to his people. She didn't try to argue with him or change his mind. She just wanted him to do what she knew he could do, and so he did. Jesus, in the deep and singular commitment that he had to his tradition in a a particular place, to a particular people, um, in a particular time, he found himself challenged when he was confronted with the fact that actually there were non-Jews who were down for his cause, right? Who were willing and eager to embrace the faith that he was trying to convince his own people of. And I'm certain that even though his focus didn't change dramatically following this, even though he remained committed to his core people and his core principles, I'm convinced that this was a formative encounter for Jesus, not just as a leader, but in catching a glimpse of what was possible through what he was doing. When he tightly focused on what he was on his project, that actually ended up somehow uh, opening up new possibilities for him. And so I was kind of thinking about this and I, it made me think um, to ask Javon, like has this <clears throat> kind of tight focus that you're, that you're doing right now on this all female album, um, has it c- kind of given you a glimpse of new possibilities or has it expanded your own understanding of like hip hop or art mm-hmm. creation?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's so me that there's a possibility that uh, women could do multiple things um, that are male driven. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely challenged me in good and bad ways, in good ways um, to be a leader, to be accountable. Um, I necessarily didn't call myself a leader at first or Mm -hmm. don't describe myself as that, but for for something like this, you have to kind of like step out of your comfort zone. Um, And then I wouldn't say it's a bad way, but it has um, shown me how to shift with change. Mm -hmm. Um, My manager, my artist manager had gave me a book called uh, People Can't Drive You Crazy Unless You Give Them The Keys. And there's one one chapter in there that said there are no guarantees. Mm -hmm. You know, hip hop, there was no guarantee that hip hop was gonna stay the same when it first started. Mm -hmm. And it's definitely had changed over the years and we have to learn how to move with it Mm -hmm. and ride this wave. And it's like, how am I gonna ride this wave with synergy? Um, Which is the name of the yes, album. yeah, and I want to uh, mention um, what synergy means. Sure. Um, and I like to use Siri to give the definition, if possible. Sure. Because Siri is really good at describing what synergy is. What does synergy mean? The definition of synergy is the working together of two things, muscles or drugs, for example, to produce an effect greater than the sum of their individual effects. Mm-hmm. The word. Sy- so that's what synergy means. So when you're combining <laughs> two or more things mm-hmm. to make a bigger effect, mm-hmm. you know, like imagine the worship team just acapella, mm-hmm. but imagine that with with percussion, with piano, it creates this bigger effect mm-hmm. and impact. This church is synergy. Mm-hmm. The world, how the world was created by God is synergy. How we become who we are today is synergy. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's important to collaborate. This, it's a big collaboration. Mm-hmm. So that's how Synergy got its name. Mm-hmm. Um, and that name was found by accident. I saw it and I wanted to know what it was because I saw energy. I've heard of energy, but mm-hmm. I never heard of Synergy. Mm-hmm. When I looked it up, I'm like, I really like this word.
0: This yeah. idea of like pulling together these, um, like, You know, singers are different than than strings, right? Right. Are different than um, percussion, and pulling together this these sort of diverse voices to create something that couldn't that is much bigger than any one of these things. I think, in many ways, uh, this was a little bit of the glimpse that Jesus started to catch um, in his ministry, Um, that he began to see that there could be something more if you if you bring in different lenses, different voices. and so at the very end, what well, you see this kind of you see this maybe uh, show up as a change, um, or, a, or an evidence of change, maybe in, in his own um, spirit, as, as uh, at the end of Matthew, this, the book that, the, that we um, read from this morning, um, that Jesus' last words to His disciples um, are, are, "Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded to you." So Jesus saw that that some kind of change, some kind of expansion was just around the corner. And maybe he didn't fully know uh, what it was going to be or what it was going to look like, but he sensed that it it, um, was coming. And so if everything stopped right there in Jesus' own ministry um, and in his movement, if he had kind of stayed within the bounds of his people, um, then it would have just kind of stayed right there. But something happened not long after um, his death and resurrection, right? After Jesus ascended to heaven, something powerful and unexpected happened. What was that? Anyone guess? Pentecost. Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, right? In Acts 2, uh, the Holy Spirit comes and just like blows wide open God's activity. And it was that event that then altered the course of the Jewish tradition. It dissolved the boundaries that separated Becky and Jesus. It was no longer about ethnic affiliation. It was about faith and transformation and living a life of generous hospitality. Those were the definitions of what it meant to be part of the community. And so we've been in this series about, you know, what does the Bible tell me or not tell me? And this la- we saved this last question, is God inclusive, for the end? Because that's something that we talk a lot about here at um, UVC. And like most of the other sayings um, throughout this sermon series, the answer is yes and no, right? The Holy Spirit, it's the Holy Spirit who challenges us, who urges us, who compels us toward inclusion, openness, and transformation. But Jesus in his own life was very specific about who he was for, And so when we put that in conversation with the Holy Spirit, what we see is the thing, at least for us, as people who are inheritors of that that faith, it is really the work of love, justice, and restoration that Jesus embodied that serves as our model, that we take on going forward. And it may even mean that we are called to a very specific slice of people who have been um, dominated by empire, who have been um, controlled, cut out, and um, and. pressed low under the work of empire, that we are called to um, called to do that work among the way that Jesus would was the way that Jesus did. So Jesus shows us, and the Spirit invites us. But what is most critical at this point is whether or not we'll respond to what that invitation calls forward from us. Let us pray. God, we thank you that your work is both inclusive and very specific that you focus on those who um, have been cut out, whether it is in uh, particular musical genres or um, in the justice system that we find ourselves navigating and negotiating, or simply even in our own faith communities where it feels like our voices are so um, minimal compared to, to what the broader church might, uh, might be proclaiming. And so we thank you that you stand with us, that you empower us, and that you invite us in to carry forward the tradition of Jesus, um, recognizing that he saw very clearly who he was for, and that you didn't let it stay there, but you also invited us to participate in that work as well. We give you thanks for your challenging and also invitational love. Amen.